All right, you ready for the word? All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're finishing this chapter and actually going to give you a little bonus. We're going to give you two verses of chapter 6. Yeah, it's all in the package right there. 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse 18. It says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In chapter 6, verse 1, we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let's pray for our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. And we, we know it's already blessed and we're going to open our heart, receive it by faith, be nourished by it. Once again, Holy Spirit, we depend upon you as a spiritual teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person listening so that they will see, hear, and understand what's being said. Father, we thank you that only do this miracle, believe it's happening right now. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Well, verse 18 says, we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. This brings out that once you got saved, uh, have you ever played a game called Tag Your It? Because once you get tagged, say, now you're it. Now, when you're it, what's your job then? To go tag someone else, they tag your it. Well, welcome to being Christian. <laughs> someone tagged you and said, you're it. You received Jesus, and now it's your turn to go tag your it, to share the ministry of reconciliation. This brings out, well, once you got born again, whether you realize it or not, when you got born again, you entered into the ministry. That every one of you are ministers. Every one of you have a ministry. Every one of you have a gift and are anointed for that ministry. To be honest with you guys, you're not here for my ministry. I'm here for your ministry. To equip you unto the work of the ministry you've been called to. Now that may, that may be a five-fold pulpit office. It may be a marketplace ministry. It might be in the home. It might be all around the world as a missionary. It's all kinds of different things. Uh, the ministry is very unique. Tell someone you're very unique. And you have a ministry, and one of, the, one, one of the overarching ministries that you have is the ministry of reconciliation. What's that? The gospel. You've been given the gospel to share with everyone around you uniquely. And so that's, that's been given to us. But look, let's start verse 19. We ended there last week. Let's jump in with verse 19, start unpacking this. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, That is, that God was in Christ. This is the message. The ministry of this is the message. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, the world, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. 
You have the ministry, but you also have the message. Many of you are called to a ministry, but you haven't yet got the message. So make sure you, you understand you're called to the ministry, but understand you have a message. And, and oftentimes we have the wrong message. And so we need to understand our message. And so we're going to talk about what is the message that we're going to be sharing. And so first of all, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God in Christ. Say God in Christ. This brings out that Jesus Christ was 100% God and he took on humanity and became 100% man. Now, he didn't cease being God. He was 100% God, 100% man in one person. And so that what made Jesus Christ so unique. That's the only one that qualified him to be our Savior because as being God 100%, he could lay hold of God fully. And because he was fully man, he could lay fully upon humanity and bring them together. No other human being has been fully God and fully man. And so he's unique. And so he is born without a sin nature, born into the earth. And so he could fully be undefiled man, but be fully God and shed his blood. And the life is in the blood. And he didn't get his blood from Joseph. He got his blood from God. He shed the blood of God. That's why that blood can reach all the way back and cover sins all the way to Adam and cover the sins throughout eternity because the blood of God was shed. I don't have time. Acts 20, 28. You can turn there, write that down and study it out. And it shows you right there what I'm saying. But he is God in the flesh. See, a lot of people don't have, don't have a problem with Jesus being human. But where people have trouble is that he was fully God. So I, I have many, many verses I could cover, but I only have time to touch upon one. Well, actually, I'll quote, an, I'll uh, mention another one, but 1 Timothy 3.16. 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Say, God was manifested in the flesh. Do you have any idea who that was? Jesus. Jesus. Tell someone next to you, that's not you. Some people think they're God in the flesh, but God was manifest in the flesh. Does that remind you of John 1.1? 1, 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, verse 14, and the Word became flesh, full of, full of grace and truth. So, so we need to understand who He is that we preach. And so uh, it was God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Who did he reconcile to himself? The world. the world. Did he only reconcile the people that will accept him as Savior? No, no he reconciled the, the world to himself. This brings out that what was separating him from man, the controversy between him and man, he took on the... Uh, he took on flesh in order to remove that so that on his side, he could be reconciled with the world. See, there's a false teaching, though, that's coming out called universalism. Every move of God on the fringe is false doctrine. There was false doctrine on the Word of Faith movement. There's false doctrine on the, on the edge and the fringe of the Word of Grace movement. And so the, the doctrine of universalism says, well, Jesus reconciled on his part all human so all humans are now reconciled to God they're going to heaven whether they accept it or believe it or not let me let me clarify something to you reconciliation when you have two parties that get reconciled 
Is it possible that only one be willing to be reconciled that both be reconciled? Reconciliation takes both parts to accept the terms of reconciliation. You can't force reconciliation. Both have to be reconciled. But on God's side, it's very important. The message that you are to go out with is God satisfied. That God has removed on his side all hostility. That God's not angry. He's not even in a bad mood. What before the cross separated God and man? Sin. Sin. Sin separated God and man before the cross. And so no one could actually remove that because all humans were born from Adam, was born in sin, and committed sin. Both sinner and committed sin. Not a human being that has ever lived above sin. All have fallen short of the glory of God in sin. And so no one could pull humanity out, but Jesus Christ was born of a virgin outside of the sin nature of Adam, came in free, lived under the law, 613 commands by God, fulfilled it all in thought, word, and deed, and at the end, he, he gave to God a perfect righteousness as a man that God demanded from mankind. But all of us, we had sins and had sin, a sin problem, so on the cross, he freely chose to be identified with all of humanity, all of the world, and he took on the sins of the world and bore it in his body, and we're going to find out later he became sin. And through dying for it, he shed his blood in the payment. You know the blood of God, the value of the blood of God is far, far, far greater than your sin. Well, pastor, you don't know how bad I've been. Well, you have a problem that you don't know how good God is. You don't know how deep and, st- and staining and how, how wicked I've been. You don't know the value of God's blood. It's a gross overpayment for everything you've ever done. It's like you had a $1,000 debt and God, a trillion dollars, paid it and let you live off the extra. I don't know if you're laughing at me or with me. Okay. Just keep with it. Are they doing something? Okay. Praise God. Preach it. Amen. He's done everything to remove the barrier between him and mankind. He chose to take on the sins of the world, become sin, and he then dealt with it, paid for it, and removed it. Well, press God. There's nothing between God and man. Everybody's saved. Hold on a second. We've got to understand the message. Because if you take that, you don't understand the message of reconciliation. It takes two parts. So sin has been removed. Jesus came, removed sin, but there's still a barrier now between God and man. It's just a different barrier. The new barrier is not sin. It's Jesus Christ. Now he stands between a sinful world and God. And so when you're out witnessing, your issue shouldn't be their sin. Now, There's a point where some people are just clueless and they're knucklers and they don't, they think they're perfect and never sinned. Well, you got to wake them up. You might need to use the law on people like that to wake them up. Yeah, I have sinned. Most people know they've sinned. So the issue isn't 
they're dealing with their sin to get to heaven. Jesus dealt with their sin. It's not they're drinking, they're smoking, they're running around, they're whoring, and everything else that you point to. That's not, so the issue when you're witnessing is not what are you going to do with your sin. Because guess what sinners do? Sin. <laughs> to tell sinners stop sinning is to stop, stop being who you are. Well, I'll tell you how to stop sinning. You need to change who you are. That's right. And so the issue isn't what are you going to do with your sin. The question in New Testament evangelism is what are you going to do with Jesus? Because now Jesus is the barrier between man and God. Jesus has become the door of salvation. And last time I checked, before you get into your house, you must enter the door. Get into your bedroom, enter the door. And so we're going to see this. Look in John chapter 10. Look at verse, look at verse uh, 9. John 10, look at verse 9. This is Jesus in the red. I'm surprised I had red ink back then. But. John 10, verse 9. Jesus said, I am the door. Everyone has been put through the door by God. I'm sorry, clueless translation. I am the door if, if, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Notice the word if. Let me have, this brings out a point. God does not throw people through the door. He doesn't push people through the door. You must choose to enter into the door. Salvation's an invitation. It's a gift. And universalism basically teaches he throws everyone through the door. And so this brings out the point that Jesus has paid for the sins of the world, not imputing their trespasses to them. Why did God not impute their trespasses to them? Did he sweep them under the rug? It doesn't matter anymore. Let's just forget all of it. No, he couldn't be just and holy and righteous to do that. So why could he, how could he not impute the trespasses of the world to them? Because he imputed them to Jesus. He put them on his account. Jesus came and said, put it on my account. And he freely put it, he said, take all their sins, everyone in this room, all your sins. But he went far beyond that. He said, their sin principle. Put it on my account. Treat me as it deserves, fully. And the wages of sin is, it's not grounding. It's not a slap on the wrist. It's death. And so not imputing their trespasses. Look at the word trespasses. This, is, this goes beyond just sin because you know that, that trespasses and sins are not the exact same thing. All trespasses are sins, but not all sins are trespasses. What are you talking about? Sin is anything against the will of God. Do you know that you can sin and even not even know about it? That you can miss God's perfect standard and not even in ignorance do it? You know, if God showed everything that is not in line with him in your life, it would overwhelm you. Oh, man. I want to give up. 
But trespasses is having a clear line and crossing over it willingly. Do you know, parents, do not go past the yard into the street. You go inside. Whenever you enter the law, there's going to be trespasses. I could put a sign up here that says, before a church, and says, touch not the pulpit. And then sit back with a camera and watch. And most of you sanctified folk would sit there but really wonder, what would happen if I did? Some of you would hover around. Salivating. Some of you would walk over and... Some of you would go, you tell me what to do. It wasn't just your sins, but your trespasses. Your willful trespasses, he paid for those. And committed to us, entrusted to us, the word or message of reconciliation. This is the message that God was in Christ and he took your place, paid your penalty, and your sin has been removed, but now what are you going to do with Jesus? Will you believe who he is, confess him as Lord, he is the Lord from heaven, he is God, and that he died for your sins and was raised from the dead. Will you put your trust in that? That's the message, the gospel message you should be sharing. And he's committed it to you. Because guess what? He's given mankind authority on earth. And, and whatever he does, he must do through you legally. And so he needs you now to share that message. Tag your it. Tell some tag your it. Well, pastor, all those sins and trespasses have been put on Jesus, so it doesn't matter if you receive Jesus or not. Au contraire, mon frere. It takes two to be reconciled. Well, what if someone doesn't believe upon Jesus, he rejects Jesus? Good question. I'm not answering it. Jesus will. John 3.36, it's in the red too. This is not Pastor Rick. This is Jesus' response to those that reject him. John 3, look at verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Raise your hand if that's you. Good. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son, you just said that question, what happens? He that does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. See, every sin that mankind's committed is covered under the blood except one. And the only sin the Holy Spirit's convicting the world about right now is that one sin. He says when the Spirit's come, he'll convict on sin, righteousness, and judgment. I don't have time to get into the righteousness and judgment part, but what is the sin because they do not believe in me. And to commit that sin is so heinous, so hard, so big, it's worse than committing all of the sins that man can commit. 
He has committed us the message of reconciliation. Look at verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As through God we're pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We'll get there. But first I want you to see something that when you got born again, tag your it. Tell some tag your it. You become an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador. Look at that word ambassador. I've looked it up in the Greek. I'm going to tell you exactly what it means. It means to perform the duties of an ambassador. It means to be an ambassador. We know what that is today. All nations have ambassadors. We have ambassadors that go out to all the nations. And we have all the nations, their ambassador has come to Washington, D.C., and they have an embassy in our, in our capital. And so we have ambassadors. We understand what ambassadors are. And you are called to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, and introduce yourself, ambassador in your name. Now we clarify who we are. And who are you ambassadors of? Jesus. Of Christ. There's some things I want you to know about ambassadors that go with being an ambassador. First of all, an ambassador always represents their home country. Where's your home country? You are to represent your home country, which is heaven. Next of all, you need to know about ambassadors is that they're governed by the laws of the country they're from. They have an embassy, and within that embassy, the rules, like in America over in China, in the embassy of the United States over in China, the rules and laws of the USA operate. You are to live, Christian, in this world under the laws of heaven. The law of faith the law of love, and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. They should dominate you here. You're not subject to the laws of death, poverty, sickness, disease, lack, sorrow, depression. <laughs> Do you see what the news rule? Woe is me. You're not acting like an ambassador. You're living under the laws and dictates of, this, of the country you're in. Another thing you need to know about being an ambassador is that they're provided from the resources of the country they come from. The ambassador in China does not live off the Chinese economy. They live off the American economy. Well, I have better news for you. You don't live off the American economy. You live off heaven's economy because you're an ambassador. But my God shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory. Wow. As ambassadors, we have a message from our home country to the earth. It's reconciliation. 
God's not mad at you. He's not even in a bad mood. But, keep reading. As though God were pleading through us. God is pleading with humanity a message, and I'm going to get to that, but he's going to do it through you. Because he's given you authority on earth, and he's pleading. This word pleading is deep with meaning. It's filled with love, passion, yearning, but also a deep concern for if the call is not answered. Pleading, imploring, through us, the body of Christ. And what is the, the last part of this that's very important is we're to tell people, be reconciled to God. Universalism says, tell people they are reconciled to God. Now, you should tell them God is reconciled with man, but have you reconciled with God? And how you do that is accept the terms of peace. That Jesus Christ is Lord, and he died on the cross for you. He rose again from the dead. You put your faith and accept that. That's the term. It takes two to reconcile. There's no such thing called forced reconciliation. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Look at verse 21. Now, we could camp probably a month on this verse. Verse 21. For he, God the Father, made him the Lord Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the gospel in the nutshell. God the Father made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Jesus cooperated with that. He made him who knew no sin. Do you know that from eternity past, Jesus Christ and God the Father have been in perfect communion and harmony throughout eternity? Have you ever thought of how long eternity is? Never ending, ever, 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 ever. And they're like, does not compute. Does not compute. <laughs> but from eternity, he's in perfect harmony and communion with the Father. Even in his earthly ministry, he's in perfect unity, perfect communion, perfect two wills merged in perfection until one place and one time called the Garden of Gethsemane. And God the Father asked Jesus, Will you take on the sins of humanity and go beyond that? Will you become the very principle of sin and be cut off from me? Jesus was in agony. So much agony over this. Would I be willing to do this? That he sweat, he sweat blood. Scientists tell us that the most severe stress a human being can have is when they start sweating blood. But it said he sweat great drops of blood. Where finally there's two wills that separate. But Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. 
And he said, I'll do it. And on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the depth of being totally alone, cut off from the Father. The answer why is the love of God for you. Well, no, he was really, he was scared of getting scourged. And he didn't, he didn't want the nails and the, no, no. Many Christians had suffered martyrdom and whipping with great joy and great peace and great victory. It wasn't, it was this issue that we're talking about here. Who knew no sin made to be sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Guys, I... It's unclear how Jesus was made to be sin. It's a mystery. I'm not here to explain that. But we must not deny it. We must not water it down by saying that he just bore our sin or that he was just a sin offering. Yes, he bore our sins. Yes, he was a sin offering. But it went deeper than that. He became sin for us. Let me tell you something. To the degree that he identified with us is to the degree we can identify with him. If he only came and bore our sin, the best we could ever do is bear his righteousness. Uh -uh. He became sin so we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The divine exchange. Jesus bore our curses, but he became a curse for us. Look at Galatians 3.13. Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Notice it's singular. Singular. Well, Pastor, I thought this verse means that he's redeemed us from all Deuteronomy 28 curses and sicknesses. Yeah, he did that. That's all including his redemption. But this verse goes deeper. It said he was redeemed us from the curse, singular, of the law. The curse of having to be under the law. The curse of having to live perfect in order for God, for us to be right, for God to bless us. That's a curse to try to live under. He fulfilled it. He satisfied it. He took it upon himself, imperfection, fulfilled the law, put it aside and said, now live by faith in me. I've redeemed you from the curse of the law. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The reason he became the curse, becoming a curse, because look at it again, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse. Say, become a curse. For us, curses everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. I want you to look at the blessing of Abraham. There's an aspect of this that to the degree that he took on our identification is the degree we can take on his identification. I want you to see one of the blessing of Abraham. Go to Genesis chapter 12. Look at verse 2. This is where he blesses Abraham. Genesis 12, look at verse 2. 
God says, I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. You shall be a blessing. See, because he became a curse, now you become a blessing. Now, to be a blessing, you have to be blessed. Tell someone you're blessed. Tell someone out, you're too blessed to be stressed. But it goes beyond you just being blessed. You're a blessing. So wherever you go, you're a blessing. And you bless people. But the blessing of Abraham is faith and voice activated. It's not automatic. It's a faith covenant Abraham was under. So you need to go around saying, I am a blessing. And then I am blessed. Someone goes around saying that a lot. You ask him how he's doing, I'm blessed. How are you? I'm blessed. How you do? I'm blessed. And you know what he is? We are, we'll, the same thing works for us. He was a curse, so you would be a blessing. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Oh, yeah, Pastor, but it says might. If I live holy enough and, I'm, and if I attain it, I may get there. No, no, no. Why is there a might? Because he's provided it for everyone, but it's a potential for everyone, but not everyone's automatically going to receive it. He did it so we might become. Now, if you accept the terms, you, there's no might to it. You are. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What does the word righteousness mean? You ever looked that up? Right standing. You, you looked that up. But if you go into the Greek or go into the Greek dictionaries of the original language, it goes beyond just right standing. If you look up uh, every one of them, this is the meaning, the connotation of the word righteousness. To be just as you ought to be. If I ask you today, are you just as you ought to be? A lot of you are like going, you got the chicken leg, you can't. you're the T-Rex. Why? Because where are you looking when you can't say yes? Yourself. You're looking at your past, you're looking at your sins, looking at your guilt, looking at your performance. Righteousness is not what you do. Righteousness is who you are. And who you are is who you are in the spirit. And in the spirit, when you got born again, you got regenerated. Baby got new genes. You look just like Jesus on the inside in your spirit, man. Romans 5, look at verse 19. For a believer, there's no might. It's a fact. Romans 5, 19. For as by one man's disobedience, who's that? Adam. Many were made sinners. It's not that they just sinned. They were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience. Who's that one man's obedience? Tell someone it's not you. And look at the other person and say, definitely not you. (laughs) 
One man, one, 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 one. The God man, one, Jesus, one man, one man. By one man's obedience, what kind of obedience? Partial, did the best he could. Well, that's all you can ask for, the best you can, right? That's not God's grading curve, best you can. And that's a lie anyway. You've never always done the best you can anyway. But no, it's perfect obedience. Many will be made righteous. Now, if you, this only works if you're saved and you accepted Jesus. Tell someone, you've been made righteous. Keep you out of it. Keep your eyes off you. Get your eyes on Jesus. Keep looking at Jesus. Keep on looking at Jesus. Let's go to uh, the first verse in the next chapter, 6-1. We then, as workers together with him, let's stop there. Do you know as believers you are to be workers together with God? I don't know if that's going to... Are you, are, do you understand that you're to be workers with God? Yes. But nowhere does it say... That he is workers with us. That's where we get off. We come up with a plan and says, God, won't you tag along and let's do, a, let's do this. He's not interested in doing your thing. You're to work with him. His agenda, his plan, not your plan. And so many Christians have their thing going on. And God has put you in the driver's seat. There's, there's a, you make decisions for your life. But there is another one that's the guide, the navigation. Every man knows there's a navigator. If you're married, there's one with you. And you get in trouble when you don't follow the, the navigation. You get off. It's your choice whether to receive his guide, his direction, because he only has the best places. He has the perfect place for you. He has the most fruitful place for you. Well, I don't know if I want to go that direction. I want to go my direction. This is not Burger King Jesus, where you get it your way. This is the kingdom of God, Jesus. You get it Yahweh. As workers together with him, he's not going to do it outside of you. You're his body. On the earth as authority. As workers together with him, we, uh, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. The message uh, to the world, we plead with you. God's pleading to us, be reconciled to God. But now that you've accepted Jesus and you're, his sa you're saved, now his message is pleading with you. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. Is that that grace is given to you is goes beyond just salvation, but he wants to bring healing. He wants you to bring prosperity. He wants you to bring wholeness. He wants to bring all those good things, but it's not just for you. I know you're sweet, buttercup. But he wants you to give it out to others. He's given you a ministry. He's committed to you the message. And he's blessed you with everything to do it with. 
And there's many Christians that have received the grace of God, but in the natural, it's in vain. It's not producing any fruit. Everyone in this room, you're a, you have a ministry. You have a ministry, you are a minister, you have a gift, and you have a calling. But he's asking you to do something with it and follow me, follow me, work with me, because I want to take you places. Tell someone, baby, you're going places. As workers together with him, plead, the same word, plead. And as pastor here, I'm pleading with you, believers. I'm pleading with you. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. Are you trusting him? Are you believing him? Are you yielding to him? Time is short. Time is short. Now is the time. Now. Now. Not tomorrow. To make I am in with the program now. I'm in with your program now. Today. Not when I feel ready. You'll never feel ready. Today. He'll equip you. He'll empower you. He's going to lead you. I'm afraid, Pastor. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Then receive his love that cast it out. Because he loves you so much that if you'll yield to his plan, it'll be the best plan you could ever live. I'm afraid, I'm afraid if I, if I hick, pick his plan, I'm going to be miserable. I'm never going to be satisfied. That's a lie. It's a lie. As workers together with him, I'm pleading with you. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Why? For he says, in an acceptable time, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. There was a day of salvation when you accepted Jesus. And in that day, he heard your cry. When you cried out to him, he heard you. And in that day when you believed, that was the day of your salvation and he helped you. But he said, tag your it. Tag your it. Tag your it. I've given you grace, but don't do it in vain. Follow my program. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Time is short. Because what must happen must happen now. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now's the time. Now's the time. Right now. Now is the day of salvation. He needs you. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you, Jesus, that you came and you made that decision in the garden to accept our, my sin, the sin of the world. And be cut off from your Father. And be totally alone on that cross. And I thank you that you remove the barrier between me and you. And, but you stood there as that barrier that you replaced that with. And you give us all a choice to enter into the door. And all, most of everybody in this room has done that. And you've given us grace. You've given us a ministry. You've given us a message. Time is short. And what are you going to do? You have to do through us. Each and every one of us is a minister. And you say, Pastor, now's the time. No more waiting. I want your program. I want what you're wanting. I want to work with you. 
but you're going to have to lead me. I'm going to give you my will to say yes, and I need you to take it from there. I need you to show me, empower me, open the doors, give me wisdom, and he will. But he can't. The only thing he can't provide is your will. You must give it. Will you? Will you? He's pleading. He's pleading. He's pleading with you. If that's you and you're, and you're wanting to say, today's the day, I say, yes, Lord, your plan, your plan. Oh, how exciting is it going to be? When your wills come in line with his will, there's peace. If today's the day, you can say, okay, this is the day. I want you not only to raise your hand, but I want you to stand up. Now, if I was Andrew, I'd make you stand if it's going to work. Father, I thank you for those that are standing. You've reconciled them to yourself. You've given them grace. But you've given them ministry. You've given them a message. And now you want to plead through them. I thank you, Lord, for the gifts in this room, the ministries in this room. They're saying yes. They will work with you. Take them, Lord. Open up. Do, do everything else now, Lord. Guide them, direct them, open the doors, provision coming to you, healing that you would need to be able to do it, the prosperity. It's all for the, for the vision. Why does he want you healed? So you can fulfill the vision. Why does he want you to be prosperous? For the vision. Why does he want all that? It's coming. It's poured out now. It's poured out. You're aligned. You're aligned. It's going to be poured out now. Father, I thank you for wisdom, vision, direction in the night season. I thank you for open doors, open doors, open doors in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that you're glorified in the name of Jesus. Amen.